My name is Joe, And my name's Ron. And this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode we speak to inspiring movers, thinkers and teachers about how they find their flow. And much, much more. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mm, so, two years in, Ron. Absolutely, yes. Two years now what? Yeah, well, we'll find out. <laughs> Before we get into that, though, how was your weekend? Uh, yeah, not so good. Oh, what happened? Basically, I was eating some food. I had some dinner. I had a bit of dessert. Uh, anyone who's new to listening might not know that I've been without a stomach for around four years or so. I was eating some food and I felt a pain in my belly and over time that pain got worse and worse until eventually I asked for you to call an ambulance. Yeah, I just was coming into the lounge room to get you to lace up my sparkly rainbow corset for a party I was headed to. (laughs) Anime hair and makeup in place and you were just like, I'm in a lot of pain. I think I need to go to hospital. So I was like, should I call an ambulance? And so we called an ambulance. Thankfully, we have ambulance insurance, which I would recommend everybody to get because you never know when you're going to need it. So the ambulance arrived and they gave me some morphine, which made no difference at all. And then they took us down to the hospital and I got another three or four shots of morphine, I think, a couple of oxycodone, still no effect. And whatever pain I was in, we could hear people... There, that was pretty harrowing. More pain. There was a, a woman. I could just hear her screaming the whole time. It was, it was quite. Yeah, terrible. we were pretty much in the emergency department for most of Saturday night. Mm. So I think they moved you to the ward about like four or five in the morning. Yeah, yeah, and that was after I had a scan, which they think showed that there might have been a, a bit of a loop or a twist in my small intestine, which is connected directly to my esophagus. So they were thinking they might have to operate and wanted to keep me under observation. So I was there for a bit longer. And then the next morning, the pain just stopped more or less. I was absolutely fine, but they wanted to keep me under observation. They ended up keeping me there till I think Monday evening. I got there Saturday night. So And you didn't even you weren't allowed to eat any food till like late Monday afternoon, right? No, no food or water and that that was fine. I mean it, I was not happy about that. No, no, you're pretty grumpy about yeah, it. <laughs> but I just feel that the surgeons didn't really keep me in the loop at all. It was just sort yeah, of... Yeah, that was the most frustrating part yeah, of the process. Just continually being put off. Anyway, that's enough whinging about that. But I guess it's also symptomatic of... It happened because I ate maybe too much food. And I think that's symptomatic of a few things that have been happening. Maybe I've been working a little bit too hard. Maybe I've been not happy because I've been working so hard and then that's made me a bit too relaxed in my eating habits. So it was actually a a good amount of time for me to pause and reflect and decide that I need to make a few adjustments. The irony of this is Ran had just been busting us on Saturday to get the podcast done, to get a mail out written because we were going to have a fun day off on Sunday. That's right. We're like, we need to have a day where we don't do anything work-related. Turns out that was sit in hospital. Yeah, and I ended up releasing the last episode from <laughs> hospital. So, yeah. yeah, lucky you done all that preparation. I know, I know. <laughs> Straight great. on schedule. Yeah. We'll talk about what's going to happen in the future later on. 
Yeah. And, and I think we've already gotten a bit happy, so it might be time to lighten up the mood a little bit. Oh, can I just interject? This mm. is our take two of this episode because the first one we recorded, I just felt like something was missing. It was just like me and Ran answering questions that I'd written and I just really missed the spontaneity and the like spark of fresh energy when we have our guests to talk to. So I reached out to some of our guests and our friends of the podcast and got them to contribute some questions. And they've all given us some really great questions. Yeah. So shall we start with our first question, which comes from Lee Blaschke? Podcasts seem to be coming more widespread and popular throughout many fields globally. This is no less the case in yoga, where, of course, the Flow Artist podcast is amongst the best anywhere in the world, but there are many other podcasts, of course, as well. Uh, And it seems that the role of the podcast is moving away from just being a nice little additive or some extra little editorial to being a really vital and core part of how a field or a profession expresses itself, how it regards itself. And indeed, the podcasts could be morphing into something that almost takes the place of what historically has been Uh, the way that people have gained information. So, for example, in the past, certainly in my early days, one would go to a text, whether it be an original source text or a commentary or interpretive text, or occasionally a high-quality journal, to get information, to improve one's skills and knowledge, and to obtain continual professional development. And it's possible that podcasts are in the process of and will eventually take over as the primary source for this important role within any field and, again, no less in the field of yoga and yoga therapy. And I think the podcast offers something a little extra that a commentary or an article in, in a magazine can't offer, and that is the interaction and the the dialogue that occurs between the interviewer and the interviewee. I think podcasts also offer a great opportunity for newer professionals in the field to come to the fore. In the past, in order to have an article published or indeed a text published, you really had to have been regarded as somebody very experienced and senior in the field. And whilst the Flow Artist podcast has, in fact, interviewed many people who could be regarded as leaders and seniors and elders, it has equally given an opportunity to a lot of the more recent professionals in the field. And I think that augurs well, because I think it's really important that there is a clear succession plan for those of us who have spent many years in the field as and have become the elders to pass the baton on. And I think podcasts like Flow Artists are ideally placed to pass on the baton. So I would like to suggest to you, Ran and Joe, that 
this could be something to reflect upon for yourselves, your role in all of this, because you guys are becoming the new leaders of the field through the provision of this wonderful platform, the Plow Artist Podcast. And I'd be interested myself to know how you regard your role in relation to all that I've just said and the whole role of podcasts more generally in a field as a professional support, but also as a really live and up-to-date informative source for students and anybody else interested in our field. So we'll take on the first part. Lee essentially asks, what is the role of a podcast? So Yeah, and he asked it in a really beautiful and very flattering way. So thank you so much, Lee. It's like such an honour that you feel like what we are doing is important and has a role to play in so many people's lives. That's amazing to be part of that. And I really like the sentiment and the idea of podcasting taking over the role of a journal or a magazine or another type of text, kind of like aiding the professional development of the person reading it as well as entertaining them and just questioning like what is the role of a podcast? And I think for me, when I listen to a podcast, I want to be entertained. If it's too dry, I'm not going to listen because it feels like work. I want to learn about someone who has a different life to mine. I want to hear things from another perspective that I might not have considered before. And I also do enjoy if there is an element of education in there, especially if it's around a topic that is perhaps a little bit hard going to read about. For example, we have several books on polyvagal theory and I've got more from listening to the people talk about it and then having someone else ask questions than I have from sitting down and just wading through some dense text. Run. It is a really good question and I would hope that podcasting doesn't take over the role of professional development completely. I do know that, for example, Gina uses some episodes of our podcast as an extra resource for teachers. And I guess if you track back to our very first episode, it uh, was called I'm a Yoga Teacher, Now What? And I'd just become a yoga teacher and I was wondering what happens next. What I had you... opinions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we had content for a podcast there, but also... This whole podcast has been the journey of my development as a teacher, I think. So I do feel quite strongly that podcasts can be there as a great resource for teachers, but obviously I wouldn't want someone doing their 200-hour training by listening to 200 hours of podcasts. But also I wouldn't want them to do 200 hours of reading magazines and books either. Like this is an oral tradition, Mm. so... I think to really learn to teach people, you have to practice teaching people Mm, and hopefully get mentoring and feedback along the way. So I see it more as an adjunct, more fulfilling the role that reading or maybe potentially going to a workshop, depending on who the presenter is, because I do feel like some of our episodes have really been like a masterclass where we've Mm -hmm. really been able to explore into what that person teaches and I felt like I've learned a lot from some of our episodes, but like you're saying, it's not taking the place of a proper teacher training. Mm. 
Lee also mentioned the extra element of interaction between the host and the guest. And that is an interesting one. I guess there is a certain level of intimacy, especially if you're listening to us through a set of headphones or earbuds. We're whispering in your ear almost. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, which I guess has, it brings a sense of responsibility, which is why we do try to research all our guests. We try to ask the best questions that we can. And we also ask questions that we really want to know the answers to. Yeah, definitely. I see that as being somewhat of our role to ask the questions that I would want to ask if I was actually doing a training with that person, but also sometimes to ask the questions that seem really obvious, because I feel like those are the ones that are actually the hardest to find out the answers to because it's just assumed that you already know. So sometimes even just getting someone to define what something like trauma-informed yoga is, I think can be really valuable. I think it can be a really good starting place when you're starting to learn about something just to be able to get all of those really basic questions answered. So hopefully we can help with that. And Lee also mentions passing the baton. And yes, it's true. We do have teachers of a diversity of backgrounds and that includes a diversity of experience as in levels of experience. I think it's important to get the opinions and voices of people who are maybe a little bit newer in their teaching and to people that have a lot more experience. And I think part of what I've learned through speaking with the Yoga Australia guests is that, you know, it's a powerful organization made up of many voices. And I'd like to think that in some way our podcast contributes to that many voices. So thank you for noticing that. Yeah, I think it's a great point that Lee made as well about how in the past, if your work was going to be published and shared, you would already have to have got to a certain level of seniority. And there are inherent biases to the kinds of people that get those opportunities. And I think a podcast is great because we can connect with people who maybe we would never see being published in mainstream publishing. I think another really interesting aspect of talking to people at different ages and different stages of their yoga career is the yoga world has really changed. Senior teachers, I remember when I finished my teacher training, like you were really, you had it going on if you had a website and a lot of teachers didn't. So if we were going to talk about an aspect of digital media, even though a senior teacher maybe has 20 years of teaching yoga, there could be like a new teacher who is doing something completely different just because they've grown up with the internet and they've grown up with social media and are able to just use these forms of media in a different way that more established teachers who grew up at a different time wouldn't consider. Mm. So I think that's an area where really established teachers would have a lot to learn from a newer teacher because it's still an aspect of running your yoga business, Mm. how to share what you do online. And I think also yoga is such a personal practice. You really need that breadth of experience of backgrounds, that real diversity to be able to communicate that to many people. Yeah. And I think that is something that we can do as well to share the voices of people who come from different backgrounds, whether it's a non-binary person or a person whose culture is not represented in media very thoroughly, so that we can actually hear directly from that person and their experience on the yoga mat and their experience teaching and sharing, because that will help all of us be better teachers to hear these different perspectives. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So what is our role in all of this, Joe? 
Well, I feel like our role is to find and connect with the people who are inspiring us by doing amazing things in the yoga world. And I particularly want to focus on the people that we don't hear from as much. I think I mentioned this before, but, you know, I feel there is a bit of responsibility there. And it would be, I guess, in a way, easy to go looking out for scandals in the yoga world or looking for confrontation. And I'm not really calling out anyone or any podcast. There's some podcasts out there that are rather confrontational, but you know, really valuable. I'm, I'm thinking of Yoga is Dead, but I know that that's not us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if it's a bit cowardly of us, but I think we're going to stay away from controversy where we can. <laughs> well, like one example, David Avocado Wolf's people emailed <laughs> us to like talk about him being a guest on our podcast. Mm. And my first response was, no, because we're just not someone who's going to like get in there and like ask the tough questions. And also I don't want to give someone like that more airtime. I want to give that time to people whose voices I want to amplify rather than trying to just get some controversy from someone who I hear way too much from anyway. Mm. So yeah, I guess there is that being really careful on what guests we choose to have on the podcast. Yeah, people are excited to talk to. Absolutely. And that will make for better listening anyway. All right. So for our next question, we have Gina McCauley from Yogahara and she asked the following question. Hi, Joe and Ron. Gina here from Yogahara. Congratulations on your two-year podcasting anniversary. It's a great achievement. Keep up the great work. My question is this. Of all the people you've interviewed, is there one thing that someone has shared that has really stuck with you, a phrase or an idea that you felt was really profound or important or really touched your heart? So of all the people we've interviewed, who was the most inspiring for you? I think it was Jace Departu. Like that was such a beautiful conversation and I feel like we really connected with him on mm-hmm. a heart level. I mean, I think he is a very open-hearted mm-hmm. person and his closing notes were just amazing, like his definition of aroha. Aroha. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> I think I should make you tune in to that episode to listen because it was such a beautiful interpretation. And my guest, his episode hasn't actually come out yet and probably won't do until sometime next year, but that is Tristan Rose. His story is absolutely inspiring and what he's doing is amazing. He was on deployment, he sustained injuries and he is an amazing yoga teacher. The work he's doing is amazing. I can't wait for everyone to hear that episode. So that was a sneaky teaser. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, before we move on, can I talk more about Jace? I feel like I've got more to say. Absolutely. So I just found hearing about his journey, hearing about how yoga has helped him and hearing about how he is integrating his own culture, his multiculture with the philosophy of yoga in a way that's really authentic to that tradition, but really authentic to who he is as a human being and just connecting with so many people from school kids with his M3 program to men because there's like a really high suicide rate in that population. So I think it's doing really important work there. I recently saw an article that said that suicide rates amongst Maori men are over twice the amount of non-Maori men. So men in general are committing suicide way too much, but amongst 
Maori populations. That's something that's really important to me. So it's great that Jace is doing that work. And he's also an example of someone who is absolutely coming from a place of compassion and doing work that's needed in the world. But he's kind of kicking ass in his business as well. Mm. Like his studio is going great. He Was he a New Zealander of the year? I think so. Something like that. Yeah. So it's like you don't have to sell out to be successful. You can mm. do something that's absolutely authentic and full of integrity and people will connect with that. So I found that aspect of talking to him was really powerful as well. Absolutely. Our next question comes from Maylai Swan from Yoga for Humankind. I believe she is over in Bermuda, perhaps? I know she was in Jordan. Right. Well, she emailed in her question, which is, what most inspires you on your journey with the Flow Artists podcast? So what really inspires me is being able to learn more about these amazing people doing awesome things in the world and also to have this chance to connect with people who we don't know on a personal level, but now we have this reason to reach out to them and learn more about what they're doing and if they're doing something that we feel like needs more attention, it feels really good to be able to share that and to be able to offer our small platform to someone who is doing something that we're really passionate about. It's like you've got a reason to have this awesome conversation with someone, which you wouldn't have if you were just like, hey, I'm in Melbourne. I want to be your friend. I think you're great. Let's talk for an hour. Yeah. Tell me your secrets. <laughs> and I guess for me, it's actually meeting and connecting with people who listen to the podcast. It's really interesting. Occasionally, well, we'll have workshops here and people who've heard through the podcast will be there or will turn up at other workshops and meet people who've been listening for a while. And it's really awesome to connect with them and hear that they've gotten a lot of value out of the podcast. So no, it's really, it's really quite wonderful. Yeah. We showed up to teach a chair yoga training workshop to the State of Being crew. And that was so lovely because we like really admire what they do. And we think that they are all amazing teachers and we were just greeted with so much podcast love. So that was great. Absolutely. So it's all about our egos. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> so, Ron, we've got a great question from Jivana Heyman of AccessibleYoga.org. I noticed that you have lots of guests who explore ways to make yoga accessible, useful and effective. Do you plan to continue with this focus? And after all of these interviews, what do you think is the most important thing that we can do to make yoga accessible? Well, short answer, yes. I mean, I firmly believe that yoga is this amazing gift to the world and that as such it should be shared with as many people as possible and as many people as possible should have access to it. I've said this on the podcast numerous times that yoga for me it was fairly instrumental in my recovery from stomach cancer and during my treatment. So I can really understand the value that I think it brings to people in the world. And I also strongly believe, and Joe and I have talked about this quite a bit, that part of the job of being a yoga teacher is to teach everyone who's in the room. And as a newer teacher myself, I know that this is, it's really hard. It's, it can be quite challenging. And I, I've had some pretty bad failures in this aspect and I'm still learning and you know I want to get better at this 
But I think that's really what separates being a true teacher of yoga to someone who perhaps is just standing at the front of the room making shapes. And I really don't want to disparage anyone's practice or teaching because I think I'm still fairly new to this myself. But yeah, I think that's something really important. And that's just the teaching aspect. There's also the aspect of making everyone feel included and that can happen before they've stepped in your studio. It can be in the way that you present yourself, present your studio. So yeah, I think there's a lot of issues to cover there and it's something that we will continue to talk about on the podcast. Great answer, Ron. Thank you. And also before I hand over to you, I just wanted to say to Jivana Heyman, your book, Accessible Yoga, is amazing. Congratulations. It's so powerful. Even the introduction itself is amazing. So yeah, thank you, Jivana. Yeah, so I did a little bit of preparation for this question. <laughs> I wanted to just read out the mission statement of Accessible Yoga. Accessible Yoga believes that all people, regardless of ability or background, deserve equal access to the ancient teachings of yoga, which offer individual empowerment and spiritual awakening. By building a strong network and advocating for a diverse yoga culture that is inclusive and welcoming, we are sharing yoga with all. And I feel like this mission statement is what yoga is all about. It's such a, it's a practice that we can draw from in so many different ways, depending on what we need from it and where we're at that particular day. It's a practice for everyone. And I feel like if someone does not feel welcome or included in my class, something went wrong. That's a fail. Yeah, that's a fail. Yeah, that wasn't good teaching. And as Ram was saying, it's not always easy. You don't always have the tools in your toolbox to be able to express things in a way that that person can understand and can practice. And what I have found has been the most helpful, which I know is a tenant of accessible yoga, is meeting that person where they're at, not feeling like you have the answers for them, but instead it's a creative and what's the word where people work together? Collaborative. Collaborative process. (laughs) We collaborated on that sentence. We did. (laughs) And so I think that hearing from lots of different people, from lots of different backgrounds, all of those different points of view can really just help us meet people where they're at in a way that's better informed. We're not just drawing from our own knowledge and our own experience. We're able to tap into the knowledge and experience of other people. And I feel like a podcast is a great place to be able to do that. And these are the people that I'm most excited to talk to and to hear from, people who've got a different background and a different life and a different perspective to me. And so not only is that going to help me as a teacher, it's like these are the interesting conversations Mm. to have. Mm. So we definitely are going to be talking to more people from the accessible yoga world for ourselves and also with the agenda of hopefully, hopefully sharing this knowledge so that all of the teachers listening feel better equipped and all of the practitioners listening feel better equipped to like say what they need to say. If that teacher is not serving them, it can be really hard to put up your hand and say, this pose isn't going to work for me for this reason. And I think that we need to empower people to be able to speak up for themselves in a way that's appropriate in class and to create the kind of environment within our classes that it is a safe space for people to be able to speak up or signal in another way so that they get what they need from this practice. Beautiful. I guess we've got 
things to say about this. We do, we do. And I think another thing that I've got to say about this is I think it's really telling that we have to have accessible yoga rather than it just being yoga. I think that that suggests how inaccessible a lot of different styles and ways of teaching are and more power to Jivana and the other amazing accessible yogas who are speaking out and offering trainings and offering conferences so that we can steer yoga back to being accessible yoga for everyone. So it won't have to be a separate branch. Beautiful. So we have three questions from Sarah Harry, and these are a little bit lighter in tone. So thank you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Rain and Joe. Congratulations on two years. It's Sarah Harry from Body Positive Australia. My question to you is what was the worst thing anyone ever said on the podcast that you cringed at. You don't have to say who it was. Well, do you want me to take this one? You can take this one. Yeah. So I actually have not had a moment where someone said something and I just cringed internally, but we have had guests who felt really free when they're talking to us. And then later after the conversation have got back in touch to say, can you just cut out that bit of the conversation where I said that thing, I think I'll get in trouble with my professional association or on reflection, it's not how I feel. I want to clarify. So we edit and I feel really happy that people feel like they can share really freely with us. They feel safe with us and that they know we're not going to exploit them if they say something that later they do not feel. We'll just like take it out (laughs) and we won't share it live now. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a good question, Sarah. (laughs) Another question from me would be, Now, how long exactly from start to finish do you think you spend on one episode, producing one podcast episode? So, Ran, how long does it take to produce an episode of the podcast? Well, how long is a piece of strain? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. It takes me generally about an hour or so to write up the intro, mid-roll and outro. And then it takes me a little while to record them. We'll say half an hour to be generous. And then... The main chunk of the time goes into editing the episode and that can take up to, say, three to four hours per hour of interview, depending on how many ums and ahs and vocal tics the guests have. That's excluding ours because I know we have many, particularly myself, uh, and that's the main reason I edit the podcast, (laughs) (laughs) because of my own vanity and insecurity. So that for a one-hour episode, that's about three to four hours of editing, maybe more if I get sidetracked by Facebook, (laughs) which I'm cutting down on now. And then there is the publishing the episode and writing up show notes and then sharing on social media, which is another few hours. So it can take up to about eight hours per episode if you include the interview. And as Ron's doing the editing, he's also like writing out little key points so that you can look through the episode notes and just go straight to the topic that you wanted to hear from, which I think is a great tool for reference. (laughs) Before we even get to the episode, we do a bit of research So if the guest has written a book, we try and read the book. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we just look at their social media and maybe their blog posts that they've written so that we can have good questions to ask them. So I'd say depending on the person, 
if it's someone that I know and I've got the questions just in my head or Ryan writes questions too, it's not all just me, we could probably get them done in like an hour or so. But if it's someone who's written a book and I want to read the book and then I'll kind of take notes as I write, it can take a while. (laughs) But it's awesome because I'm reading this book and I'm reading it pretty thoroughly because I'm going to ask the author about it. So it is definitely an enriching experience. I really want to know what the most embarrassing thing you've ever said to a guest was where you just went, oh, I can't believe I just said that. (laughs) It's not something we've said. It's something that we've done. (laughs) (laughs) So poor Josie started out, she messaged me to say, where should I park? And I'm like, oh, it's only 12 o'clock. Your interview's not till two. We're not ready for you. Turns out our interview was booked in for 12. We had a lot of (laughs) interviews that weekend, got a little bit flustered, so... We quickly set up everything. She came in, feel like we'd already got off on a bit of a not good start because she was arriving at the perfect time and I just told her she was two hours early. Settled in, had a cup of tea, started talking. How far in did we get? Like maybe 10 minutes? No, I think it was only five. Then Ryan realised he hadn't switched on our recording equipment. Mm. But I think it ended up being good at the end because it meant she could sort of work through that first question a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) It worked out well in In a way she was more happy with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got a second go at it. Absolutely. And uh, another time interviewing Paul Majewski, I believe, about half an hour into the interview, I looked down and realised the battery had gone flat on our digital recorder and had to ask him to start again. So, And he was like really on a roll. Like he he'd was, said some really great stuff that first time around. Absolutely. And he was very patient with us. I think that's the power of a lifetime of meditation. <laughs> <laughs> we plug our recording equipment into the wall now. We are no absolutely. longer relying on batteries. <laughs> no. For a while I was recording with two recorders just in case. <laughs> But as to embarrassing things we've said, that is another reason I edit. Yeah, sometimes things just come out wrong. So our next question comes from Janet Lowndes and she writes, podcast provides such a wonderful way to hear from others, but it's a conversation that flows in just one direction. How do you think podcasts like yours can assist in keeping discourse and debate alive? Well, I have a few things to say on this. Oh, tell us all about it, Ron. Well, I would definitely love for this podcast to become a dialogue or I guess a multi-log. We sort of sit in a little bit of a bubble here. We produce the episodes and you send them out and you hope that people enjoy them. And we get a little bit of feedback, but it would certainly be good to hear more. And that is why in most of our episodes, I do ask people to go and join our Facebook community, the Flow Artist Podcast Community. And We also have an email address, podcast at flowartist.com. And you can also comment on each of the episodes on our website, podcast.flowartist.com. And I'm spruiking everything here, but I would 100% love to hear feedback from people, comments, questions. We can only be as good as the community that's around us. And that's something that's really important to us. We want to know that people are getting value out of what we are putting out there and that can only make the podcast better. So please, please, please allow this to become a conversation and not just us shouting out into the ether. Yeah. And I think most of our guests as well would also love your input and your questions and your connection with them. Most of the people that we talk to are pretty accessible through their own social media. And probably if you commented or questioned on one of our Facebook pages, they would answer 
as well. And that's something that I love about the podcast, this chance to get to ask all of the questions that have been on my mind. So if you have questions on your mind or things that occur to you as you're listening, let us know. Like we want this to be an interactive exchange. 100%. And that brings us to supporting us on Patreon. Hey, (laughs) hey. (laughs) So yeah, if you don't know already, Patreon is just a way that you can help support us for as little as $1 a month. High tiers, we put out extra special content that you can watch on our Patreon page. We occasionally put out videos. I'm planning to put out a meditation soon. There's also the ability to comment there. And again, I'd like to be able to have a bit of a discussion there as well. So in addition to that, we transcribe our favorite podcasts and we use the money we get from Patreon to pay for that. So, And that's another thing that we'd love your input from. If you have a favorite episode that you would like to get transcribed, let us know. Absolutely. Patreon's good as well, because if you don't want to engage with Facebook, that's another way to connect with us. So our next question is from Amy Bell. And she writes, if you were to describe what producing a podcast is like in terms of a metaphor, either the whole process from start to finish or one aspect like interviewing or helping someone to open up maybe, what is your metaphor for what that's like? So I actually think that the process is really similar to teaching a yoga class. I'm not a teacher that plans out everything, so I probably do more planning for the podcast, but... If you just come in with a rigid plan that does not respond to the person you're engaging with, things don't usually go well. So even though we have our questions that we want to write, the conversation might go in a completely different direction or we might end up asking the questions in a different order. There's also that little process of helping someone settle in and feel comfortable so that we can go deep and so that they feel supported, they feel safe, like leading a yoga class. I don't think it works if you are too prescriptive and too stern, but I also think it doesn't work if you give no guidance. So there is that aspect of kind of shaping the flow of the conversation, not even necessarily with what you say, but with a whole lot of other aspects of communication, which is not something that I think about at the time that much, but it is, I feel like a similar state of mind to when I'm leading a practice and same as leading a practice, it's a really immersive experience. Like when you're having that conversation with someone, it's like a meditation. You're not looking at your phone. You're not snacking on food. Like you're just present with that person. And when you get to the other end of that, it feels like you've had a meditation, but also, especially when we first started doing that, we were pretty tired mm. after each episode. Like it's a lot of focus it's and a concentration. Lot of concentration. I, I find I'm looking at the questions, I'm listening to the person, I'm thinking of follow up questions, and then hoping that the conversation hasn't changed too much for me to, to insert that question. And I also think we like to give the person we interview a lot of space to answer their questions. We're not really the types to sort of jump in too much and overlay what we think we should be saying, if that makes sense. But yeah, no, I I totally agree with what you say there. And I think as well, like people expect to listen for about an hour for one of our episodes. So we don't need scion bites. There is plenty of time to let something evolve and develop the way we do in a yoga class. Yep, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And my metaphor, it would be uh, like climbing a mountain, except that mountain is covered in clouds. So you don't 
know whether it's a mountain or a hill. <laughs> so profound, right? I know. And it's most probably just a hill. Uh, but I guess <laughs> Sometimes a hill can feel like a mountain. <laughs> yeah, I guess, and that's just because I edit the episode as well. And you can go away from the conversation saying, oh, that was really good. I didn't hear that person say, um, once. And then you get back <laughs> and there's a, there's a lot of vocal ticks. And I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm, as I said, I am the worst. And also the reason why we just get rid of those ums and those pauses and those things is in a normal conversation, it doesn't sound jarring at all. You don't even notice them. But when you're just listening, it sometimes gets in the way of the flow of words. Like Mm. it pulls you out of what they're saying because you're so distracted by ums, likes, kind of likes. I really realized this myself when I did another podcast interview that wasn't edited. And I just thought I got rid of all of those vocal tics, but no, (laughs) Ryan gets rid of them for me every week. (laughs) Are there any interviewers or podcasters you admire? What do you admire slash respect slash appreciate about them? So my favorite podcasts to listen to are like feminist comedy podcasts. I really enjoy The Guilty Feminist, which is like stand-up comedy and small interviews and conversations with women from diverse backgrounds. It's really entertaining to listen to. I feel like I'm learning a lot. So I love that style. I really enjoy the Two Dope Queens podcast as well. And then uh, Phoebe's Flow On podcast, So Many White Guys, (laughs) because I get to hear from all of these different people who I maybe wouldn't get to hear of as much. Actually, it's really stood out to me watching stand-up comedy specials on Netflix where there are a few diverse voices, but when I hear the performers on The Guilty Feminist or on Two Dope Queens, there's this real sense of empowerment to the voices. So people might be talking about something like racism or gender stuff or even sexual stuff. But it's just coming from this place of them celebrating who they are, whereas I often hear when I listen to those, especially female stand-up comedians on TV, it's all based on putting themselves down and kind of getting the laughs out of making the fun of themselves rather than getting the laughs by pointing something ridiculous out that's happening in society. And I don't see that with male comedians. So that was a detour. (laughs) But yeah, I really like hearing from diverse people. I like hearing stuff that's funny. I like hearing about people's lives. And I enjoy that type of interview style that's more like a conversation. I have so many podcasts that I admire. In the non-yoga world, there's Team Human, Douglas Rushkoff. He is one of my favorite thinkers. He wrote a book back in the mid 90s called Siberia, which was about this nascent thing called the internet. And he was so ahead of his time that the publishing company delayed publishing his book because they thought that the internet was just going to be a fad and it would be all over. But he's really, I guess, matured in his thinking. He's not so much about the technological world as in bringing it back to the power of humanity, of collaboration and of community. So that's a really great podcast. Expanding Mind by Eric Davis. He's also one of my favorite authors. He writes about things that are a little bit on the the weirder side of things, Uh, the psychedelic. There have been episodes about yoga, the New York yoga scene. Jay Brown, Jay Brown's Yoga Talks. He is one of my primary inspirations for starting a yoga podcast. I think what he 
is great at is teasing out someone's story. I guess we're a little bit more ham-fisted in that regard as we'll just ask straight out, you know, tell us about your background. But I think he is really good at that. And he's also been able to track a history of the New York yoga scene and by extension, the American yoga scene. And I'd like to think that we're doing similar for the yoga scene in Australia. We've spoken to many people who were there in the early days of yoga in this country. As well as that, there is Shannon Crow, the connected yoga teacher. She was kind enough to interview us on her podcast. We had her on ours and I think she also produces episodes of great service to the yoga community. So a big shout out to her. Who else is there? Oh, Yoga is Dead. Yoga is Dead. Oh, my God. Yes. Like, these guys have just crushed the yoga podcast world. I'm a little bit envious of their success while at the same time realizing that I don't think anyone else could have really done what they do. I think they are such a great example of bringing a voice to the conversation that's just made people realize, like, why haven't we heard from these people before? Mm. Why haven't we heard more South Asian people talking about yoga and more South Asian women talking about yoga? And that's a perspective that the yoga world absolutely needs. It's a perspective I really enjoy. I'm a bit scared about their next episode, which is Vegans Killed (laughs) Yoga. I've been vegan for over 20 years. (laughs) As long as they don't do an Australian podcast killed yoga. (laughs) Joe and Ryan killed yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, please don't do that. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you for those questions, Amy Bauer. And this takes us on to our next question, which is from Joe Buick. Hi, Joe and Ron. It's Joe Buick here. My question is, how has the experience of speaking with so many diverse practitioners influenced your own approaches and teaching? And my follow-up question for that is, are there any themes that have emerged across the interviews? Looking forward to tuning in. Bye. I love this question because the experience of speaking to so many diverse practitioners has really influenced our approach and our teaching. And I think it was really fortuitous timing that we closed our home studio to renovate. And over that time, we spoke to so many amazing guests that it actually not only shaped how I teach, but it shaped the design of our studio. I teach aerial yoga and in my old studio had some big mirrors, which I got for free. So it wasn't something that I'd sought out but it was very handy to help me teach. After speaking to practitioners like Janet Lowndes and Sarah Harry and just hearing about having a giant mirror in the room could actually be a real distraction to some people practicing yoga and could take away from their ability to just turn their awareness inwards. Maybe some people don't want to be confronted by a visual representation of their bodies and all of the bodies next to them. That's not going to help them in their practice. So new studio, no mirrors. Speaking to Janet and to Sarah Harry have been so helpful in really shaping our direction as a body positive, inclusive studio. I feel like they have been able to articulate some things that have been in my mind and to be able to really clarify them and to also express how important it is to not just think this stuff, but to share it. For someone to come to your studio It's like their experience of you starts way before they walk in the door. What you share online, the language that you use, the images that you use when you share are really important, not just in making someone want to come to your class, but in how someone perceives yoga as a whole. 
if you're only sharing skinny bodies, doing hyperflexible poses, maybe just white people, that's really alienating to everyone who doesn't look like that. And it can even set up the perception that yoga isn't for you if you don't look like those Instagram pictures, which is terrible. So definitely the way that I share has been influenced by the people that we talk to. And I think Jivana is amazing at this as well. He really amplifies and shares the voices of so many different people from so many different backgrounds, not with the goal of filling up his own classes, but with the goal of building a bigger and more inclusive community. Nice. Wow. How to follow that one up. I guess I'd have to say our guests in total have influenced me so much in my teaching. As I said earlier, our first episode was me being new to teaching. So this has really been a major part of my education as a yoga teacher. You mentioned that every conversation is like a private masterclass we get to have. So I've had 60 or 70 hours of masterclasses from some of the people we most deeply respect and admire. So that's absolutely amazing. And I think that It's taught me, like you mentioned, body image, how important that is. Though I wouldn't consider myself a trauma-informed teacher, it's brought those concepts into my awareness. And so I try to be mindful of that in my teaching. The accessibility issues also been a huge part of my learning. And as I said before, I'm still getting that right. And I'm... I mean, that's just a lifetime journey. Indeed. And I, I also feel very fortunate that I have a mentor in you. You, you know, Joe has an almost infinite supply of, of adaptations <laughs> variations and, and props <laughs> yeah, so, and I can just go to Joe sometimes I'll I'll say no I'm not doing that and then I'll go and do it but that's due to my dumb male ego <laughs> I feel very grateful to have Joe's experience as well so I I feel very privileged to be able to speak with this huge diversity of guests and then what this has brought into my mind most strongly that social justice is a part of yoga. I don't think you can escape that. If we believe in ahimsa, if we believe in compassion, then I think we have to make yoga available for everyone. And you know, it's also on us to try and make the world a better place. So I think That is a big takeaway for me. And I think that's something, an idea that I'd like to propagate into the future of the podcast. Some themes that have emerged, which I think have been really interesting, is everyone has imposter syndrome sometimes. Mm. Even someone like Lee Blaschke, who's probably the most experienced and well-qualified teacher that I know, trainer of so many teachers, will still have those moments of standing up the front of the room and being like, who am I to be leading all of these people (laughs) or to be facilitating this experience for all of these people? And I think it's really helpful for everyone out there to know that you're not alone if you feel like that sometimes and it doesn't mean that you have nothing to share because I think we all have something to share and we all have something to give. Another theme that's emerged, because this is a question that I've asked a lot, to people who seem to be doing so much and have so many passions and so many projects, yet seem to have it all together, the theme that emerges is those people who seem like they have so much going on have to have these moments of looking at everything that they have going on and stopping some of them. Just those people who are super busy continually have to reassess and pair back. There is no formula to like making all of this stuff work. And going back to that point you raised about imposter syndrome, as Lee mentioned at the start of the episode that we're leaders 
or future leaders in the yoga world, I actually find that quite scary. <laughs> like, what? Us? Little <laughs> <laughs> <Where are> us. <laughs> 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 I just want to start a podcast. <laughs> but no, that is a great honor. And thanks for saying that, Lee. Well, I think that leads us into the future plans. Do you want to go first, Ryan? You might have heard me say at the beginning of the episode as well, my health issues. I think perhaps I've been working a little bit too hard. Part of that, and this is all due to me, <laughs> my own decisions is, you know, we are committed to putting out these episodes for Yoga Australia. And I didn't want to have every single episode Yoga Australia in a row. I, I think our guests would prefer to have a little bit of, um, I'll say it again, diversity in our guests. So I made the decision to put the episodes out every week and alternate in between the Yoga Australia episodes. And that's fine, but it does mean I've been working an extra eight to 10 hours a week just putting out the episodes. And I think that and teaching all these extra classes, it just sort of culminated in me having a bad health experience. So for the immediate future, I mean, we're going to put out all these Yoga Australia episodes and we are very grateful to have this collaboration with them. But as soon as that's done, we're going back to the fortnightly schedule. And we're going to have a Christmas break. And we are going to have a Christmas break. So it might be a little while before we start the new season of the podcast. And it might have a, if not a slight rebrand, a subtle change in direction. And I'm not 100% sure what that'll be, but... It we'll will... let it marinate over the break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, if you'd like to offer suggestions, we would most gladly hear from you. But I also think that we've had people ask to come on the podcast and we've gotten really excited and wanted to talk to them. But I think in the future, we're going to be a lot more... What's the word? Selective? Yes, a lot more selective in the guests that we choose to have on the podcast. It's going to be people that we're really passionate about talking to and hopefully that translates to you enjoying the experience a lot more and I've been thinking about you know what I want the podcast to achieve and you know for me that would be to uplift educate and inspire people who listen to the podcast and I don't know if you've got anything to add to that? I guess what I'd like to add to that is there are more and more yoga podcasts popping up mm. all the time. And I have noticed that we've been talking to a few guests who have been on like four or five other podcasts in that small patch of time. And I totally get why. If you've got a book coming out or something like that, you need to talk to lots of people about it. But I think shifting our focus to the voices that we don't hear as much from is the direction that I feel like going in. Mm -hmm. I feel like if someone has been on like four or five other podcasts, then either we have to think about some really different questions to ask them. But I wonder if people looking at the name in the episode list will not even listen to that episode because mm -hmm. they feel like they've heard from that person mm -hmm. a lot yeah. already. And there are so many people out there doing really amazing things that aren't getting a lot of attention and I feel like those are the voices that I would like to hear more from. Mm. And I think that's another reason why we should be talking to people who are of the newer generation, the, the generation that the baton is being passed to. Yeah. And I guess focusing on Australian guests and hopefully more Indigenous Australian guests mm. would be great. Absolutely. Speaking of which, we've got a great episode coming up with Eleanor Bancroft. Absolutely. 
but I'm not sure when that will happen yet. So (laughs) (laughs) that brings us to the end of our questions. Did you have anything to add, Joe? If you could distill everything that you've learned (laughs) and everything that you share down into one key core essence, what would that be? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how this is a surprise. (laughs) Mm, mm. Oh, look, I've, I've said this before many times. I think the message that I'd like to share is that of, of compassion, of kindness, and that I truly believe starts with yourself, being good to yourself, being good to the people around you. And hopefully that spreads a little bit and everyone in the whole world is just being nice to each other. It may be a dream, but... That's <laughs> a beautiful know, dream, Ron. Yeah, let's, let's try and spread it, okay? Yeah, and mine's similar to that. It's really important to be on your own team. If you're fighting within yourself, that takes so much energy away from the things that you want to achieve out in the world. And like what Ran is saying, there is a lot going on in our world today and it's easy to feel insignificant or that you cannot make positive change. And I think moving through the world with that attitude that you aren't important or you aren't doing enough gets in the way of actually doing more. And I think if there is internal struggle, I mean, that is like part of the human condition. It's why we have these practices of yoga and meditation. But as much as you can, if you kind of tune in to those moments where you are not on your own team, when you are just criticizing yourself or beating yourself up, all of that just takes energy away from the positive things that you can do in the world and makes your life way less fun. And to be honest, is probably making you a less fun person to be around. So while we all have struggles and we all have challenges, if we can just be kind to ourselves, be kind to the people around us, I feel like that better equips us to take on all of those other challenges in our lives. Beautiful. So Be kind, be fun, and listen to the Flow Artist podcast whenever you can. (laughs) New tagline. (laughs) (laughs) That takes us to the end of our episode. I might briefly talk about our next episode, and that is another Yoga Australia episode with Lee Blaschke this time. We caught up with him while we were on retreat at Hepburn Springs, and It's a nice, very quick conversation. We had to sandwich that between a couple of workshops and events. So it was great that we got the chance to speak with Lee then. And luckily, if that's not enough Lee for you, you can dip back into our archives and have a much longer conversation and a longer listen to him because this will be the second time that we've spoken to him. And I guess other than that, Joe and I would love to honour the people that brought us these wisdom traditions of yoga and mindfulness and meditation. And we would also like to honor the traditional custodians of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. So thank you so much for listening. We really, truly appreciate it. Aroha Nui. Big, big love. <laughs>